Hello and welcome to the second episode of Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I am an Arsenal fan. So in the weeks since our first debut episode, one of the most ferocious North London derbies in a long time, a lot has happened. Uh, Arsenal have drawn at Old Trafford and laboured, I would say, to a win over Huddersfield. <laughs> Meanwhile, Tottenham have had two pretty comfortable wins in the Premier League over Southampton and Leicester respectively before a quite famous night uh, at Barcelona in the Champions League. Which one would you have rather won against those uh, Premier League sides? You know you would have rather won the Arsenal one. Let's be very honest here. <laughs> um, as, as much as I'd love to dedicate the whole podcast to what happened in Barcelona, I think maybe we should probably go back uh, chronologically and maybe pick up where we left off and look at Arsenal's draw at Man United first, 2-2. Twice you took the lead, twice United equalised. As an Arsenal fan, Jason, do you look at that as a point gained or as two points dropped? Thank you for putting a really pessimistic spin on Arsenal's fantastic draw against Manchester United. I'd say that result and that game was one of our games of the season. Probably a more competitive game than the Tottenham one because I think we see them as a bigger club in England and therefore I would say a bigger overall rival. The United draw was great. I haven't seen an Arsenal team for a long, 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 long time, if ever in my football sporting days, go to Old Trafford and take it to Manchester United. Look exciting in terms of attacking. Defensively, there were always um, frailties, but at least kind of um, looking a little bit more organised, passionate, ready to get into the referee and the players' faces. That was, that was for me, like a win to be able to go get a result and look like we could go and win the game. It's unfortunate that Lingard went up the other end and scored because, it, listen, it happens. Um, not ideal, especially after you've just taken the lead and that could have really continued our kickstart to the season and put us above Spurs and would have been all lovey-dovey. But I say that all to then have a performance like Huddersfield where we really laboured... You know, they, they uh, players didn't look up for it. Manager's decision of those three holding players was the biggest joke I've seen since Arsene Wenger at the club. Three holding midfielders. No, no attacking midfielders. No number 10. No one linking the midfield and attack. I mean, it was, it was, it was bizarre. And to then substitute Lacazette at half-time when we needed a goal and bring on... Iwobi, okay, very nice. And I believe the other... Who was the other one they brought on? I've gone blank on that one. But they, they brought on two players that, again, okay, maybe one can uh, can go on the wing. Maybe one can sit in, in the middle. Nope, nope. We're just going to continue this. Uh, we're going to continue the same old 5-3-2 or whatever. We're not going to get anyone to, to link the midfield and attack. It just felt like a little step back for me with Huddersfield. But we would have drawn that 0-0 under Wenger, so... To get that fantastic Torreira goal, another goal. You may remember his last goal, Michael. No, I draw a blank on that one. Because <laughs> um, you were at that game, weren't you, the Huddersfield game? I was at the Huddersfield yeah. game, very last-minute ticket, which I was I was initially delighted about. But when I went there, I was thinking, what's this Arsenal? This isn't the Arsenal I've been watching um, for their 21-game unbeaten run. <laughs> Do you um, think that Soon perhaps... to be 22 in an hour and a half. Do you think that perhaps in between those United and Huddersfield games, that perhaps the dip in performance could be explained by Arsenal players making the front pages instead of the back with their nightclub exploits. And then added on to that, was it three yellow cards for diving against Huddersfield? I mean, that behaviour both on the pitch and off it, how did that make you feel as an Arsenal fan, seeing the players get the wrong sort of headlines and then be cautioned 
I mean, I don't know the last time one team got, got three bookings for diving in one game. I mean, how did that feel in the stadium as well? What sort of rea- I mean, I imagine you all thought they were wrong decisions at the time, but how do you feel about perhaps how Arsenal players have behaved since the North London derby win? Has it gone to their heads? Come, keep giving it, because I'm <laughs> going to give it straight back soon. Um, my, oh, to your first point, that episode that was depicted in many newspapers across the country and online and social, and I won't go into the story because it's for me it's not news. We know players are doing this. I don't care what they do in their spare time. They've been on a 21 unbeaten game unbeaten run, so they're doing their job. I couldn't care less what they do in their spare time. This happened in August. If this had come out after the City and Chelsea game, then I'd be fuming, saying this is what you're doing before a game. It happened before the season. They've all been playing well. The only one it really vilifies is Meza Ozil, whose who's back gets ever worse. <laughs> um, your, that, that's the last I'm going to say on that point, I'm okay. afraid, just to avoid any libel. <laughs> the second point regarding the three dives, I don't think they were all dives. I don't. Maybe Gwendozi's. Maybe. L- little contact. Yeah. I, I think for a referee to give three yellow cards is damning for diving because they went up the other end, Huddersfield, and did exactly the same thing. Their player their player fell over, was protesting, and the referee didn't give it. So how can you... If the referee's saying, you're protesting, but that's not a foul, it must be a dive. It's, it's It should be black or white mm. in that situation. I, I don't I don't quite understand it. It's if he, because he was really protesting, it's not like he said, oh, am I hurt? He's like, you know, I was fouled. And if he wasn't, then it's mm. a dive. It was interesting, I thought, given... Was, was Mustafi one of the players? Mustafi was diving? one of the players. Because yeah. I, I, I may be wrong on this, but I seem to remember at full time of the, the North London derby, he was particularly vocal to Hyungmin's son about what he felt was a dive for the penalty we awarded. So to then see him get booked for diving a couple of weeks later, I thought was, was rather amusing. But that's the last I'll say on, on that. I don't know whether you... Was the Mustafi dive an egregious one or not? I mean, you said Gwendozi is the only one you felt was an actual dive, but... Is this the right phrase to use? Poetic irony? <laughs> Say no more. Regarding, so going back to the United match briefly, you said about, you know, in terms of how you previously performed at Old Trafford, it was a great result, great performance. But considering that you were coming off the back of that, that win in North London Derby, considering that we went there and won 3-0, considering how much United are struggling this year, the attacking talent you have, are you not, is there not part of you that's a little bit disappointed, thinks they were there for the taking, that you could have... You could and should have beaten them? For sure. It's frustrating because they were there for the taking. This is not the United team of old. And I've never seen a goalkeeper as bad, actually. I don't know what's happened to De Gea. I think he missed out on that big Madrid move. And I think his his motivation's down. They're clearly not playing for the manager. But we've been playing beyond our skill set, I would say, at Arsenal recently. I can admit that. To even get that win at Tottenham, you know, it's, it's been pushing above and beyond for so long. They just run out of that little bit of steam. But I think to keep up that momentum over 90 minutes when they could have lost, but they also could have won, I'm not I'm not disappointed. I'm happy. I would have taken the point beforehand. I said to you, I believe last time, uh, four points out of those games, Spurs and United, would do me nicely. Four points it was. And uh, I'm happy we got it that way round. Was it a bit disappointing after all the, the celebrations after North London derby, all the North London is red, all the dressing room selfies, to then the next match go behind us again in the league. And I know last episode I said about the worst unbeaten run, and you quite rightly said an unbeaten run's an unbeaten run, but 21 games now, 
and you you beat us in quite a comprehensive fashion and yet you're still behind us is that do you feel like this unbeaten run needs to if anything losing it could help you because i know sometimes unbeaten runs go on too long players maybe are more mindful of protecting that than going for the win and sometimes you need to risk the lose to win do you think maybe against united perhaps or even huddersfield that the unbeaten run now might be playing on their minds in a negative way rather than giving them confidence i think it would have been a burden under the wenger years with a fragile mindset throughout the squad stemming from the top <laughs> i don't think now it's an issue i think it's empowering them everywhere they're having the momentum and i think a loss would actually derail them i think i think they are used to this winning feeling the whole the whole of the emery era in my opinion has been winning Apart from those two big games, it's, it's been a win. Because Sounds very much like Trump winning. Sure, sure. His, his, his job was steady this ship. He has steadied the ship and beyond. Finishing below Spurs right now, it doesn't, it doesn't concern me because it means nothing. You, know? it, it's, you do your thing, Spurs. You're playing the little teams and scraping through. Um, we'll, 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 like Huddersfield. Everyone has their, their patches of inconsistency but again you can only beat in who's in front of you and you can only if you want to win you get three points i don't care if it's one nil or seven nil that that's just the mindset an arsenal fans in i've spoken to a chelsea fan quite recently i said i wanted to ask you because you've won the champions league now you've kind of seen it lived it premier leagues cups the lot what next what once you've won it what's there to go for and i guess both our clubs especially tottenham wouldn't know that feeling of winning a trophy and kind of that um that what next because you have it all to come which is very exciting in itself listen it's a very good um thing to want to win a trophy always be young yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Hope to be young <laughs> you know you've got a few years uh left in in uh at Wembley I'm sure as well <laughs> um I think that we need to take heart from this recent form we need to embrace that winning run and go into that Christmas period and say if we come out unscathed, we can do anything. And unscathed, I say, is continuing the unbeaten run. But if they lose it, saying, okay, we've lost it. It's unlucky, but we go again. We fight again. <laughs> Sounds good. They should, Emery should get you in the dressing room for that. Well, I'm, motivational, uh, uh... I'm, uh, I'm off over the Christmas period. So if you'd like a, uh, a word, give me the ring. Give Jason the call. So the night you played United, we played Southampton. They just sacked their manager. Their new one was was watching in the stands. He will have be properly in charge for when Arsenal go there this weekend. Are you worried about maybe falling victim to a new manager bounce against Southampton this weekend? Or do you think, similar to us, easy win? I'm trying not to tempt fate, but I'm trying also not to believe in, in um, this superstition anymore. So I think no chance. I think they're... It's a, a weak man, new manager. Don't know why they've chosen him. They're going de- straight down Southampton. Um, they haven't got enough anymore. If we do draw or lose, it's because of just the players not turning up. On paper, on form, those boys have got to go there and get us three points because it's unacceptable if they come back to London without three points. And you talked about getting through the Christmas period unscathed. Obviously, Rob Holding injured against Man United, going to be out for a long time. Are you worried about injuries mounting up? Do you think your squad... I mean, a lot has been said about Spurs squad supposedly not having sufficient strength and depth. Do you think Arsenal have a deep enough squad for what's to come with all the fixtures? And also, if you progress far in the Europa League, we know Emery loves the Europa League, are you worried that you might get more injuries like Rob Holding and what that could then do to this glorious unbeaten run? 
lucky for Arsenal, and unlike Tottenham, we have quality strength and depth, I'd Ooh. say, for different positions. You know, we, we, we can have Aubameyang or we can have Lacazette. We don't just have Harry Kane. Who is better than both of those strikers put together? I, I think debatable. In terms of pure skill, very debatable. And I think we should have a, a, a big debate Did on Aubameyang, that. Did Aubameyang, incidentally, sorry to interrupt, but against Man United, I thought Aubameyang was a shadow of the player he was against us. Do you think he just struggles to keep that up for more than one game at a time? I mean, against us, he was a beast, I thought. Against United, he was a bit Lukaku-esque. He seemed a bit anonymous. Do you think it's he blows hot one day and then it's Lacazette? Do you think they... Can both of them fire at the same time? I think he's so good. He wants to have a little bit of humility and just say, you know what? I'm human as well. I don't need to do that. But in all, in all seriousness, you're right. Consistency has been a thing with Aubameyang that's, that's probably been his biggest demon. But he's still turning up for me at the big moments as well. Um, you can't rely on him every time. I'm hoping that by putting him in my fantasy team and <laughs> captaining him, that I have jinxed him. I captained him at the weekend thinking at home to Huddersfield, he's going to score a hatful. So I'm keeping him in as my captain because that's the little bit I can do to help derail Arsenal is by putting their players in my fantasy team. Uh, um, remind so, me that first question, sorry, just before. <clears throat> um, about injuries and Rob Holding and whether the squad yeah. can survive. I think it's changed at Arsenal where they're not afraid to go out and spend. The money's there. I don't know when all these people say, oh, Cronky doesn't spend, sack the board. We spend. How much more money do you want us to spend? Just spend it right, for God's sake. You know, Aubameyang came in in January. Look at him, he's brilliant signing. We need to go out in January and sign players throughout the team. And that's to progress. You know, that that's what you've got to do. If you keep standing still, everyone's going to jump ahead of you. In terms of what we've got, Kajelny's coming back, but I don't know how long he's got left in him. Mustafi, nobody knows what he's doing half the time. The fullbacks have been in and out of injury. Bellerin, without him, you've got no... Sol- well, you've got Lichsteiner, but let's be honest, he's a hothead who we can't rely on for a season. Pulls his hamstring, his career's finished. So we have some good young players. I've heard that Chambers might come back yeah, from loan, which is really great because we put him on a on the loan at the worst defensive team probably yeah, I mean, in the league. What everybody wants right now is a Fulham defender. Oh, That's exactly. The- um, I think they need to go sign a centre-back, but... Maybe it should be a lone one. You know, I've heard the Gary Cahills and the Eric Bailly's. Yeah, str- but I think they just need someone temporarily because I think mm. there's enough pipeline there for long term. I think it would, as Wenger would say, it would kill the uh, players if I brought him in. We need to, we need to think logically as well. You don't always, you there are always internal signings, mm. I suppose. But I think there are many options in this case. I, I'm. I'm not concerned because it seems like everyone who comes into the team knows the Emery system. They're ready and they'll slot in appropriately. And that's really what I've wanted from this team for a long time. It's just, there's a system, guys. Deal with it or get out of here. And there's one man who's not dealt with it appropriately. And I don't think I need to, uh, I don't think I need to say his name. I can just give his little symbol to you and you may, uh, you may be able to guess. People listening, he did a, was that a three? Switch. What is the? Yeah, it was. It was a. It was I almost a, said it, his name. Oh, it was a, it was a little M. A little M. M. Oh, that's it. Yeah. For, uh, and you went. Oh, so those are the. Those are the, uh, those are the initials. Those are. M and the, oh, so M- oh. I wouldn't know who to, who, who it was. No, could, could Michael be any, Owen. Could be Michael any, Owen. Could be Michael could Owen. Be Michael Owen. Um, one thing I mentioned in terms of what could strain Arsenal's squad is the Europa League. We're recording on Thursday night. I believe Arsenal are playing in the Europa League tonight. Very insignificant match against Carabag. I remember when Spurs used to play Carabag in Europa League. But as you may 
um, have expected. So what I'm most interested in talking about in terms of European competition is the one that everybody watches, where the big clubs play, where the real quality resides, which is in the Champions League. Um, Spurs, Mission Impossible, pulled it off. One point after three games in a group of Barcelona and Inter Milan, went to the Camp Nou, needing a result, needing some match Inter's result against PSV, and they did it. Jason, how do you feel about Tottenham being in the knockout stages of the Champions League? First of all, you're celebrating a draw against a C-list Barcelona team when they had nothing to play for. So Pochettino's hero's welcome is 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 so misguided. The Did you not say the man you draw felt like a win, though? Yes. Yeah, so this draw feels it, like it's, a win. It's, it's different. Ex- exactly, because this is much more significant, I would argue. A Premier League match, which in the course of 38 games is going to be probably accounted for versus what was essentially a knockout game in the Champions League. Historic achievement. Okay, you beat, you beat what was in front of you, but you didn't have much to beat. That's what I'm saying. Well, but Coutinho and Dembele, who both started the game together, those, just those two cost more than our whole first 11. Rakitic played, Busquets played, Messi came on, played the last half hour. Barcelona, people said, oh, Barcelona B, Barcelona C. Barcelona don't have bad players in their squad. And they were still, they weren't giving us an easy ride. And we still, and it, you know, also, it wasn't our first team. Walker Peters, not a first choice right, third choice right back. If you'd said Tottenham would have to go to the Camp Nou needing a result and Winks, Suzoko, and Walker Peters would be a key part of that team, you know, you can, for the team thing, it's, it's still Barcelona. So, I okay, mean, surely okay, a bit so of you re- must acknowledge that it was quite a big, a big moment to, to go very, there. And very big off. moment, but it, it wasn't even really in our hands. You know, you, had to rely on Inter Milan to have a terrible result against PSV as well. I think it's lucky. I also think fair play to you. You got the result you needed. But I think I think the celebration... I understand the celebrations. Obviously, I'm excited. Yay, we're in the Champions League last 16. Yay, we're going to lose to Bayern soon. Um, it, it just, for me, felt... It felt like classic Spurs celebrating before something's really happened that is like your trophy and for me that that shows a lack of ambition that shows a lack of ambition i I, I would argue the opposite because i think it's showing ambition to get out of that group and get into the knockouts and go right okay now we're gonna we're gonna go for this and i do agree that there was a huge element of luck involved but i think barcelona were lucky to get the draw i mean beyond one moment of brilliance from Dembele and when Coutinho hit the post, they didn't really create anything. We had more possession, more shots. We should have won the game. Okay, yeah, we did have to rely on the PSV game. We're, we'll be forever grateful to PSV for what they managed to do. But the way we played, we deserved to get something out of it. And it would have been, I was watching it and it was the most unbearable thing to watch knowing we were relying on another result because I was going, we've had so many chances in this game. It's been in our, in our hands. We've had all the opportunities to scatter this group. If we don't, we'll have no one but ourselves to blame. But I think on the other hand, getting through it even though yeah we needed the result if after six games of Champions League you're in second position it's because you deserve to yeah, be there I, I agree there. with that principle as well if you've got yeah. you know people say oh you didn't deserve to do that but you got through eventually so fair play mm. you can only do what's for you but I wanted to ask you actually how you feel about the next round is it daunting is it exciting do you feel like if you now go out to a team it's it's a failure or do you feel like you know it, it's it's uh, it's ours to lose I think it's it's incredibly exciting because I think if we'd gone out in the group stage, that would be two out of the last three years we would have gone out in the group stage. Whereas now we're in the last 16, which is as far as we've got last year. So we've matched last year. You know, 
you, it goes up in levels. You want to be, first of all, Champions League regulars and then build from that to being regulars in the knockout stages and then from that to being contenders. So if you look at it in terms of that broad thing, we're, you know, we're taking that next step up. And when you look at the teams who we could draw, you know, Juve, Dortmund, Real Madrid, we played all of them last year, got a draw away at Juventus, got a draw away at Real Madrid, beat Dortmund in the own stadium, beat Dortmund and Real Madrid at home, was unlucky not to beat Juventus. So we look at, I mean, those teams have changed significantly since then. I wouldn't want to draw Juventus or Dortmund. Real Madrid, though, I think could be interesting. Um, Bayern, I think, are a team who, they're one of the elite teams of European football that we've yet to, to play in Europe. So that'd be exciting. And I think on our day, we can beat them. And I think that this team now having, even though, okay, yes, Barcelona didn't have anything to play for. They did rest players, but still to go to the Camp Nou needing a result and getting it, I'd say is actually the opposite of classic Spurs. Classic Spurs would be to mess that up. Um, the fact that we played Real Madrid and Juventus last year, I think this team, because of how we've got through, has this belief now that, you know, we're here, let's do something with it. On our day, we can beat anyone. Let's go for it. And so I think it, it's given us a kind of feeling of, of nothing to lose. We're here now. We, we got there when nobody thought we could. So let's go for it. And yeah, if, if we go out, that's probably what people will be expecting. Unless we draw Porto when people will say, oh, you should go through, even though I actually think for that very reason, I don't want to draw Porto because I think that'd be a much more difficult game than perhaps people think. Um, but no, I think it's, it's incredibly exciting. And I think the players now, the mentality, the belief is huge. However lucky it may have been, whatever, to get through that and now be up there with all those clubs. You know, you, when you see your badge next to those giants and they're, oh, we're going to have a, a big match against those, hopefully in the new stadium. Just something actually I wanted to mention because an Arsenal fan, whoever it was, reported... People may remember in the summer, Tottenham put up an advert all over London of the new stadium saying the only place in London to watch Champions League football because Arsenal and Chelsea in the Europa League. Obviously, we've had some delays with our stadium, which I'm sure Jason wants to bring up and ask me about. Um, and so an Arsenal fan complained to the Advertising Standards Authority about this advert. And we actually got an, an official warning wow. about it, even before we've been was, officially was, out of the Champions League. It was League. inaccurate. So they spoke too was. soon because... Yeah. We're through. So I expect an official apology to the club. From was it the this season or this year? It just, I don't think it even specified. It just mm. said the only place in London to yeah. watch Champions League football. Did well. Well, you can go to the pubs and watch other games. So I <laughs> think that's inaccurate. I think they really should have said the only stadium to travel to on your Tuesday or Wednesday night to watch football in the UEFA Champions League. But that would be some introduction to the new stadiums. And I think that was the big thing because obviously top four this year, who knows? you want Champions League football in that new stadium. You know, if we hadn't have, if we'd gone out in the group stage and then hadn't qualified for the Champions League next season and we've got that new stadium and no Champions League football at all, you know, that's a, that is something that people used to make fun of us. So I think hopefully we'll get at least one knockout game there this year and then hopefully proper group stage action there next year. But I am cannot wait for the prospect of brand new White Hart Lane, Champions League football, big names, under the lights, huge matches, you know, that's the sort of stuff that, that gets you excited. I, uh, I've i always been... De I've detested Spurs playing at Wembley since the start. I think no club should play their games at Wembley on a daily basis or weekly basis. It just doesn't make sense to me. Wembley is a special place. It's the home of football. It's it's the grace of, of the game. And, and it's ruined it for me. I don't want to go to Spurs' stadium for a cup final. No way. 
Hmm. No I way. That is a thing for that's what it feels like for, for external fans. Rival fans. Yeah. It's turned into now a, a partisan ground. It's turned to a joke. It was a neutral venue. It's turned to an absolute joke. Um, I mean, it? obviously, a lot of Spurs fans aren't happy about it either. A lot was made of the Wembley curse, which was proved to have been nonsense. But I think fans are sick of it. I think for one season, people embraced it. Now people can't wait to get back. Every other game that's announced at Wembley, it's like a chore to go there. I don't enjoy going there the way I used to last year. Um, but I think the problem is, is that modern Wembley doesn't have the same prestige as the old Wembley. Yeah, you know, it's, diff- it's we different. Have, you look at the, the state the pitch is in at the moment because of the NFL, because of the boxing, because of the concerts, because of all the other stuff. But that's the there. thing. Spurs should go in there with their money that they apparently should have because they never spend anything on good players. They should go in there the next day and say, we're going to, we're going to tidy up that pitch and make everyone at least at least proud of the stadium. I just feel like they they've gone in. I think they've like they've squatted the basically. They've squatted in in Wembley. They're like a bad rash that won't go away. Um, it do, it doesn't seem for you guys as well. It doesn't seem like a home. It doesn't feel like uh, like a proper football home. And for me, it just it ruins the sparkle. And then that's when I want to go on to that new stadium point because. I don't know why you deserve a new stadium. Actually, you haven't consistently they, they, been at the top level. You're not. A, you're not champions. Not winners. You yeah. shouldn't be in <laughs> the same league as the Uniteds and the Arsenal's yeah, but, with the big stadiums. I do think it's exclusive because you know. I think it's a. It, it's it's like if you're a wealthy person, most of the time they have a more expensive looking or or bigger house. But but, yeah, but it's because, not necessarily because they can afford it right yes and that's the thing new stadiums aren't just dished out on merit there's not a committee that goes right who deserves a, a new big stadium this year oh tottenham tottenham but, have said right we're gonna spend the money to build it. and it's because we can fill it i mean we filled wembley ninety thousand capacity there's a huge season ticket waiting list i only got a season ticket for the first time last season because we increased capacity because of how many people are on season ticket we have the the levels of support to fill it and that's what's more important in terms of stadium size is can you fill it? Do you have the support for it? And we've demonstrated in our stay at Wembley that we do. But I see like West Ham playing Olympic Stadium. I don't think they, they, they should grace that stadium because they're not the national pride. No, and I, they I, didn't pay the money to build that either. The sure, that's, that, that's, West that's, Ham an, that's another story. But stadium they hate. For, for me, we might as well say, you know, in my opinion, Leicester have done the same as Spurs in terms of achievement, maybe even more so in the past 20 years. And you know what? They should, all right, we'll go have a 60,000 stadium. Well, We're can, big they enough. Can go, they can go build one. Sure, they could, they, could do, they could do that. But I think in terms of, to say, the big stars on the big stage, it's not, it's not a big stage. It, it's, it's, a, it's a team that, again, I keep <laughs> repeating and reiterating that they're a team who time and time again have underachieved. They've bottled it. They've put the pressure on. They haven't won. They're not getting to that next level. And what what I actually say is I worry about Spurs going to that stadium with no Champions League football, with losing their manager to Manchester United, with losing their main striker to Real Madrid. And then then if they regress and they've got this brand new stadium, what then? What then? Eventually they say, okay. um, On on that point, though, you say about, you know, people needing to deserve stadiums. By that token, should uh, Newcastle get their stadium taken away from them? Isn't that too big for a team? who are relegation candidates. Heritage, though. Isn't, heritage. Isn't, Spurs man, never had man, the heritage. Well, that's obviously blatantly untrue. Um, you know, stadiums, as I said, it's not... If, if, it's, if it's all about merit on what you do on the football pitch, then football clubs will be always homeless and moving here to there to be in whatever stadium is deemed I think it's different, the, though. It's, it's about proactively going out and saying, 
we are a big club now and we now deserve we now should build this yeah. new stadium well, because Tottenham Hotspur are the to, only only Champions League club in London. So that needs a to fluke. That, that needs a big to fluke. To fluke. Uh they've come closer to winning a, a title than most other clubs the past few years. They're you know, historically they I'm sure huge, huge Chelsea and Liverpool history, would disagree. Huge worldwide support. You know, of course they if they want a stadium, go build a stadium. It's you know, it's just football. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. It, it will I mean, is is part of it though that you're worried that it's just gonna completely overshadow the Emirates is gonna look even worse once the new White Hart Lane's built. It's only one thousand seats more. No, but just in terms of how it's been designed. For sure, the it's it's an, it's another level. Listen, mm. it's it's modern architecture. It's very exciting. You've got that players tunnel I think you're building that's kind of oh you can see all the players in the tunnel got one of those now, yeah, yeah it's very gimmicky it just it feels to me a bit of a PR exercise to get everyone together and say look at Spurs we're really forward thinking now rather than than for what it really should be done for I just I get this feeling there's a disconnect from from on the pitch and off the pitch I feel until you are a title winning team and you have shown that you you are capable of taking it to that real next level th- then i don't then i don't think that that brand image works but again i am biased mm. i must say i can't uh i can't i think playing in front of 90 or 1000 people beating real madrid 3-1 last year shows that you have both the numbers and the quality to I mean that, that's that a, but that but that's a, that's a one off well we we topped we topped that group but that's, that's and a then one we, season and then we one were up. in the Champions League the next year and and went and played Barcelona sure and got through the group so sure. you know I think we're, we're hosting the sort of matches that warrant it we're playing the sort of football that warrants it we have the support that warrants it you know we, we're, we're paying the money for it we're not even though we did briefly try and get the Olympic Stadium which I'm glad we didn't you know we're not relying on other people to give it to us it is I can understand people wishing that they could have the same sort of buzz or the same sort of stadium and everything. And I can understand people not liking us playing at Wembley, but I think the idea of clubs needing to deserve a stadium beyond just having the will and the means to build it is uh, not something I'd add. Do you think this narrative that I've probably been the biggest advocate for about Spurs and the media portrayal of them, do you think you get a bad, bad, bad ride? Do you think uh, uh, some people get away with things more so? You know, Liverpool for a long time didn't win a trophy, didn't... um, were bottling it in in good positions, but they didn't get nearly as much criticism as you, or kind of that um, yeah. those trends that are associated with Tottenham now. Definitely. I'm 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 glad you said that. Actually, and surprised that you said that, and even mentioned Liverpool because that would be exactly what I was going to say. And what I think annoys me is that every time Tottenham have a success, maybe not enough success in your eyes, but have a big result, a big night, a big achievement, the discussion afterwards is. When's, when's Poch going to go to Madrid? When, when's Kane going to get sold? It's never, you know, and in a way that when Liverpool have a big night, they don't go, oh, when's, when's Salah going? When's so-and-so going? And as you said, Liverpool, you know, Spurs, we've, apart from the season with the Gerrard slip, we finished above Liverpool for the past nine odd seasons. They haven't won any more trophies than us in the past a similar length of time. Um, okay, they got to a Champions League final. They lost. They got to Europa League final. They lost. They got to a League Cup final under Klopp. They lost. So three finals under Klopp, they've lost. Nobody's calling Liverpool bottlers or saying, oh, Klopp needs to win a trophy to be a success, even though he's now spent 
a world record fee on a goalkeeper and a defender. There isn't the same narrative around it. Klopp needs to win the trophy to be... He's already seen as some successful. You know, they're painting murals to him in Liverpool. He hasn't won anything yet. Okay, maybe he does this season, but that will have been after taking on City at their own game, not just on the pitch, but off it with the money they've spent. So definitely, I think Tottenham are, in terms of the kind of more traditionally established big four, not judged as fairly in terms of every success is tinged with the, oh, but how long is it going to last? And also this reputation for bottling it and spursiness, which obviously you can't deny spursiness as a thing existed. But I think now it's become such a, a meme that any time Spurs lose, it's, oh, classic Spurs, da, 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 even though it's like, well, okay, losing to, to Juventus, for example, in the Champions League, that could happen to any huge club. Losing an FA Cup semi-final to Man United or Chelsea could happen to any club. You know, chasing a title, never actually being top, and just running out of room to catch up. Oh, class- you know, every time we slip up, it's, oh, classic Spurs bottled it. And it's like, well, actually, that was just what happened. It wasn't necessarily even a case of bottling it. So I think those are the two annoying things. The fact that every defeat, you've bottled it. Every win, oh, yeah, but how long is it going to last? And that, yeah, particularly with clubs like Liverpool, not the same pressures despite similar levels of success. And it all comes to, seems to come down to history, in my opinion, because Liverpool have that illustrious history where at mm. one point they were the best team in the world by a mile and most popular team. Therefore, they have a little bit of leeway. They can get away with it. But then I was just thinking, you get clubs like Wigan who had those that amazing FA Cup win. They're, they're very good giant slayers in the FA Cup. And then they get that credit and they get that narrative when everyone ignores, hold on a sec, what, what's going on with them now? Where are they? Yeah, well, right? I think that's also the argument that, that Pochettino himself makes when people say about winning trophies, Wigan won an FA Cup. Where are they now? Portsmouth under Redmond. Where would you rather be? Exactly. That's the argument he tries to make when people say he won't have been a success at Spurs unless he wins a trophy. He says, well, I want to win the big trophies. But that is a very Spursy comment from a Spursy manager. Well, I I disagree. I think A bit like Wenger with his top four as a trophy comment. But I, I think the difference there, though, is that Wenger went from being the manager of the Invincibles to then saying top four as a trophy, whereas Pochettino came into a club that the highest ambition at that point in time was top four and he's taken to a step higher and is trying to broaden the horizons top of what four people, in the last 16 of people expect well of what people expect of the club right when he came in Tottenham were nowhere near a title now people talk about them as title contenders so I think that's the, the difference in those comments and why you know people say to me oh aren't Spurs the new Arsenal in terms of it's just all about top four being enough even with the new stadium and the effect on the finances it'll all just be about top four and that's it top four trophy in itself but I think the difference is where you've where you've started from, like you said, about history and particularly recent history and how Arsenal went from being the big boys of, you know, you and Man U being the two rivals to then sliding to a point where then you fell out of the top four, whereas we've sort of gone the opposite way from being mid-table to then knocking on the door of the top four to now up. So I think it's it's always a case of, as you said, history and trajectory and relation to where you've come from to where you're going. But I think in the, you know, the nitty-gritty of football rivalry, people don't really consider those things. When the results come in, you just... You say the easiest thing you can to either discredit the success or make fun of the failure. And I think that's just one of the things you have to, particularly with social media now, it's just so easy for these jokes to sort of stick and, you know, propagate. And I do wonder how much that gets into players' heads and their own mindsets. I think that's kind of an unexplored area of football, how much social media is affecting players' mentality and whether it's making these sort of historical narratives more pop, more kind of ingrained than they ever were before because if a player goes on their Twitter and sees all this stuff 
there's so much constant media around football which we're now contributing to it makes these things perhaps more present in players minds so you know who knows i agree and i i saw an interview with bellerin recently where he said you know players uh fans were calling me x and y and z um and it was affecting him clearly his performances were terrible and when they started getting behind him again he's been playing fantastically again so i think there is something you know i'm sure harry kane had a massive bee in his bonnet about being the one season wonder for four years exactly, now yeah um, I mean, Sissoko this season, yeah. this stuff does trickle down because when you, you know, there's talks of the Spurs players in the dressing room singing the Sissoko chant now and about how much he struggled with the, you know, abuse he was getting when he first came. So, yeah, this stuff, it, you know, they are human beings after all. They are going to hear this stuff and it, and it has an effect. So, it's, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see how players form changes in relation to how fans are, fans are treating them. Interesting one mm. to be continued, I'm sure. <laughs> So we've covered that's covered quite a lot of uh, interesting topics there, mm. quite wide ranging. We previewed the Carabao Cup clash mm. in our first episode. I'm wondering whether, in light of recent events, what's happened in the past week off the pitch, on the pitch, our Champions League success, your whatever you're up to against Huddersfield <laughs> and other smaller clubs. Do you want to revisit those predictions? Has anything changed your mind about that game? Or are you still pretty confident that's a win for Arsenal? You're going through to the next round. Mm. How important? It's going to be a tighter win. It's going to be a tighter win for Arsenal, like a two-one. Mm. How important do you think that match is for Arsenal? Now, is it is it more or less important after what happened in the derby in the, in the past few weeks? How important is that trophy to you this season? That match from the Arsenal perspective, is it a big one? I don't think the trophy matters. Actually, I'm going to almost contradict what I've said for the past uh, while because for me, it's that progress and that fight. And I think the fight comes from winning those big games. I want us to go beat Spurs. We need to go beat Spurs to show it wasn't a one-off. We can beat them in any circumstances. We are the one team in North London who are better than our rivals, to be debated. However, if we get through to the semi-final, we play one of the smaller on paper sides in the semi-final, we lose. It's not ideal, but it happens. But for me, it's about just being able to compete again. I never thought we'd compete again for for a long time because we just seemed to, to peter out and accept that we were not good enough. For us to show we're good enough, that we can make mistakes, but we're good enough to, to be consistent against the big boys, that's the most important thing. I'd say for me, the game that I'm looking forward to the most is that Liverpool game away. If we can get something out of that, again, a draw... That, for me, will show you've made progress, man. Is you've, that you've the next game in. after the Carabao Cup, or is that, that over is, the Christmas period? I think it's the last, yeah, before, before New Year's. Mm. And that, 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 for me, is the game. The rest of them, we need to win. I mean, every game is a cup final, really, when you're going on this kind of unbeaten run, and you're, yeah. you're really going for it, and you need momentum. But for me, that is where we were really lacking under Wenger, as being like, we are a big club because we can compete against big teams. If we can do that, we're level pegging again. We're back in and amongst where we belong. You know, as you keep saying, the it, the landscape's changed. You've now got six teams, really, who are up for this top four. Um, someone's got to miss out. Unfortunately, I don't want it to be us uh, three times in a row. But, you know, it, it just it just depends on, on, on luck as well, on injuries, about whether the opportunities in January come up. And I think they need to look at that carefully now and say, what do we really need? What do we really need? What do we not necessarily, not necessarily what we want right now and what we kind of want long term? We need to say this is what this is where the gap is, 
in the squad and we need to go fill it because it's not going to fill itself. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because from the Tottenham perspective, I think obviously we want revenge for what happened in the league a few weeks ago. But I suppose on the other hand, now we've got through the Champions League if we were to lose, I suppose Bigger people would say, which, would you ra- which competition would you still rather be in? Um, but you don't want to lose to Arsenal again in such quick succession. Do you think so. that revenge is sort of the being Spurs' bonnet, you know, that inferiority complex as a club against their, their more illustrious history I'd, rivals? <laughs> and... I'd say it's less inferiority complex, more of a, a kind of an annoyance because uh, I think they, they know that they're better than Arsenal at the moment when they're, you know, when they're firing. They have been better the last two seasons. And I think it was the annoying thing of going to the Emirates again and and getting beat. And I think there'll be that bit of frustration. But whether Pochettino will play the same players who played in that game, if other if he rotates, if other players come in who maybe didn't play in that game, don't quite have the same perhaps anger, then maybe it will dilute it a bit. Um, Explain. In in the sense that you know if, if Eric Dyer, for example, played. Given all the events with him in that game, he might be more up for it. Whereas if I don't know, try to think of players who didn't feature in that match. But Did Harry Winks play? He came on as a sub, I think, mm. towards the end. Nice but, I mean, maybe as usual. Kyle Walker Peters, if if he played, I mean, he is a Tottenham boy, but didn't play in that game. You know, he might have a different approach. So it'll be very interesting to see which teams play because obviously it is as much as it's a derby and we want it and it's quarterfinal. It is an opportunity for both managers to rotate their squads with the busy fixtures coming up. So I think it'll be a case of who plays the the slightly stronger team and which set of players that do play are up for it more. But given that it's at the Emirates, it, you know, we'd have a bad record there. But in the in a cup, who knows what can happen. In the spirit of being controversial, you mentioned, um, or I tried to shoehorn in this uh, Harry Winks fellow. I'm not convinced. I never have been. What is Harry Winks? He's next. He's the, the next in the Esther, is what he is. Okay. I think the thing with Winks is he's the type of player that English football is is crying out for, and that it doesn't usually produce. Um, and then we wonder why we don't have players in midfield who can calmly carry the ball, keep possession, and turn defence into attack in a you know calm sort of way. And I think a player like Harry Winks, it's kind of easy to to lump him in with other sort of English central midfield players who have maybe flattered to deceive over the years, particularly ones who who played at Tottenham. Um, but I think what he has is, I, I watched him quite closely the last few times I've I've seen him play live, and I think what's impressive about him is for somebody of such a young age to be so confident and calm on the ball in possession, not to to rush things. I mean, there are you know rare occasions where he does still misplace a pass but he'll be the first to go and get it back and I just think it's it's that calmness on the ball it's that you know he's not the player who's gonna score 20 goals a season or you know be maybe renowned for tough tackling or whatever you know he's not a John Terry or a Harry Kane which are probably the two kind of archetypes or even David Beckham if you think of probably the three archetypes of English footballer you, have, you know your gruff John Terry type maybe a stylish Beckham type and your Royal the Rovers Kane type but he's, he's not either of those because he's the kind of player that in Spain would, I think, get a lot more appreciation because they appreciate... He's kind of, he's kind of got that football humility, if you like. Yeah. He's quite... He's quite um, it's a bit like it's a bit like Kante, really. You don't, I can never really know. I don't know what he does, but he does it well, whatever he does. He's the type of player that, that Kante in particular, that, that other players love because he does the hard work that gets other players out of trouble and help set the rest of the team up to attack. You know, you need that player who 
isn't looking for headlines, isn't looking to get the goal, is willing to, right, I'll go, I'll get the ball back and I'll pass it to you and you do your thing. And if you don't have those players in a team, you know, then you're, you're missing that link. And I think, I think Pogba is a player who is over-criticised, but I think that's an example of where if you don't have... I think Man United in their whole midfield is an example where if you don't have that type of player right, it can things can fall apart. Because if you don't have a player who can, without fuss, get the ball from defence to attack, you're going to struggle. Where United, they've got either purely kind of defensive midfield players or players who really want to do attacking. And I think they're missing that thing in the middle. And I think that's what Winks can provide. Big question now. A lot has been said about how Pochettino brings to young players. I've already seen so many examples of successes of that but you've stayed at this kind of level now someone like harry winks who's got ambitions to play first team football week in week out not come off the bench or be kind of bit part um when you've got like the ericsons and lamellas and um, sissokos and moras and try to think of other sentiments i guess dembele was a good example until Mm. somehow he's just dropped but dyer for example um, a player like um, Winks. Winks. Does do you think he's got a chance of getting into that team, or do? And great if he does, but also, does it mean that you'll stay at that same level? Is it? A, is it a risk? Is it too much of a risk to keep on bringing these youth players in who may who may do the job well, but they may not necessarily give that X factor that you need in the team. For example, we've seen Arsenal were terrible until they brought in someone that kind of Ozil initially was for me that X factor. Sanchez then came in, Aubameyang, Lacazette now. Do you think instead of all these youth players, you need to just have a bit of sacrifice to say, you know what, we're going to be a bit selfish this time. We're going to do what's really good for us. Mm. And for me, that's you go and you buy a, it's not going to happen, a Sergio Busquets. So you go buy a... um, a player of similar stature. I mean, I think, I mean, it's interesting to see the kind of paper talk linking us with Rabiot, PSG, and Andre Gomez even at Everton. So clearly we are looking for players in that position, but I think it's more with a view to replacing Dembele and Manyama, who we spoke about the last episode, injury prone, getting old. Um, but I think, I think there is room for both. And I think you're right, you do need both. I mean, Alan Hansen famously said, by Man United, you don't win anything with kids and people say he was wrong because United went on to win the title but they didn't just win it with kids and you do yeah you need the balance but I think Winks is a player who could play alongside someone with X Factor whatever you call it but I think the idea as well that we need to spend to be successful I think is an element of the kind of media narrative we were talking about earlier so much is made of the fact that we didn't sign anybody in the summer but we're third we're six points off top we're in the knockout stages of the Champions League without having signed anyone. Now, you could say if you'd signed people, you'd be doing even better than that. Or you could say that's proof that what matters is hard work on the training ground, making players better, performing in matches. You know, Fulham spent a lot of money. Everton spent a lot of money. There's loads of clubs out there spending loads of money. It's no guarantee of success. And like we said also last episode, you need to buy the right players. So I suppose I'm not saying we can't improve the squad, but I think we're showing that there is another way of doing things. And Barcelona are also an example. You know, Messi and all these other players came up through their youth ranks. And I feel like outside of the Premier League, that's a more the more done, accepted thing. And we're seeing the problem with Jadon Sancho going to Dortmund because he can't get a game at City. So, you, you know, 
that is a problem for English football more, more broadly because more in- young English players will think well I'll go abroad where they have more of the culture of bringing up the young players so yeah so um, I suppose the, the next episode will be reacting to that Carabao Cup quarterfinal that win by Arsenal we shall see um, next week um, and then we'll probably unlike the players have a little winter break and come back in the new year very well deserved especially for Spurs because they've done a lot this season they really everyone associated with Spurs needs a nice break in my opinion they've worked really hard they've achieved more than they usually do more than any other club in London can, you, uh, can you sense the sarcasm anyone <laughs> anyone um, so yeah thank you again for listening um, do get in touch share subscribe spread the word like and retweet exactly um, slip into our, our DMs if you'd like as DMs. well that's always very welcome on Twitter at, at Cannon Cock Pod or search Cannon and Cockerel you'll find us follow us um, you know let us know your stories what you'd like us to talk about your experiences of the match um, and yeah keep you know keep, keep, keep I was going to say keep your eye out but keep your ear out I suppose for future Cannon and Cockerel content Viva Los Iwobi come on you Spurs <laughs>